welcome you all to this week's Citizens Climate Training Program. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Sees, and tonight we're going to jump into the June 2023 Lobby Training and Primary and Supporting Asks. We're going to have the chance to be joined by CCL's Vice President of Government Affairs, Ben Pendergrass, and Senior Director of Government Affairs, Jen Tyler, for a training that's going to review the updated context for CCL's June 2023 primary and supporting asks, as well as some initial guidance as you plan for your lobby teams for online. Our speakers tonight are Fearless DC team. We have Ben Pendergrass, Vice President of Government Affairs, and Jen Tyler, our wonderful Senior Director of Government Affairs. Uh, I will let them introduce themselves further, and I'll just share that uh, if we've done our job well, the following three learning goals are going to be what each of you walk away with. We're going to have the chance to understand the current dynamics on the Hill, as well as the opportunity to advance more climate action during our June Lobby Day. We're going to start discussing the June 2023 primary ask for CCL that we'll have on the Hill, as well as specifics behind it and explore what policy goals they would accomplish, and we'll also review and preview the June 2023 CCL supporting asks and discuss which ones will align best with which members of Congress. So to do that, we'll do a quick review of the congressional landscape. We'll talk primary asks then, supporting asks. We'll discuss a conclusion and then the rest of the time here will be an ample avenue for Q&A. Thank you all so much for being here and the floor is yours, Ben. Well, thanks, Brett. I'm really happy to be here with two of my favorite people, Brett and Jen as well as all you guys. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. We, we're back. We're back in person in June. We're back on the Hill. You know, a lot a lot has happened the last couple of years. A lot's happened in the last year since we were all here, here in June. And one thing that hasn't changed is CCL is impactful and our work is really important. And I know that being back in person is going to be so important as Congress really takes up all these questions around climate and it continues to be a major issue. And so I just can't tell you how excited I am that, that June's coming up. This is also the first June big in-person lobby day that we've had since we've really expanded our policy portfolio. And so this is a new and exciting time for CCL. And I'm really, really can't talk about how important it is that you guys have joined us tonight. So hopefully we can kind of start talking about this stuff, talk about some of our new, um, primary asks, get into some of the old, some supporting asks, some are old, some are new, some are exciting, and uh, we'll also have some greatest hits on carbon pricing. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Jen, to kind of give us a, a overview of what's going on in Congress right now. Thanks, Ben. Well, I'm glad to be here with you guys as well. Thanks for joining us tonight. And yeah, let's talk, let's start going into what Congress has been working on, other than starting a new Congress, setting up committees, setting up new offices, a lot of new freshman members. Um, what's going on on climate? Well, policy-wise, one of the biggest bills we saw was the House Republicans' energy bill, H.R. 1. I'm sure many of you were aware of this bill. And that did pass the House on a party-line basis. This was essentially the opening offer by House Republicans. It included all of their top priorities on energy policy, as well as what became climate policy. But it really was a messaging bill. It's a bill that they knew would only gain the support of Republicans, but it's kind of their opening offer in a longer term negotiation and bid on what's going to happen with energy and permitting. 
we were happy to see that they wanted to act on this. It's important that they had the momentum, they had the buy-in from their whole conference to take steps towards permitting reform, getting some of these critical renewable energy policies through, but it ultimately was not a bill that we could support. There were a lot of provisions in there, including some repeal of the IRA that we just could not support, but we were happy that there was forward progress. Uh, definitely wanna see something going in a little different direction from that. So in addition to HR1, I'm sure you guys have heard a lot about permitting reform. There's tons going on. There's lots of bills being dropped. We'll get into it a little more because this is obviously one of our top priorities as CCL, but there's been a ton of hearings going on on the Hill. Senate EPW committee had a hearing on permitting reform. The Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee also had one. And there've been more than eight committee hearings on climate and the budget committee in the Senate as well. So there's just been a ton going on, lots of action, lots of ideas being thrown around. And like I said, we'll get into the nitty gritty and how does that relate to us? What do we want out of that conversation later? But suffice it to say, it's one of the biggest issues going on on Capitol Hill right now. And lastly, the other big policy being worked on that relates to climate is gonna be the farm bill. That has to happen every five years, a reauthorization of the farm bill. Committees are already thinking about this. They're already taking policy ideas. Members of Congress are starting to introduce bills that they want to see included in the farm bill. A lot of these bills are gonna to touch the conservation programs, which impact forestry, climate smart agriculture. But because of the debt ceiling issue and permitting reform, it's not the top priority right now. We're likely to just see an extension of the farm bill instead of a complete reauthorization this year. So this work is likely gonna to continue to next year and you'll be hearing us talk a lot more about it as the debate on the farm bill continues and we can be more active in influencing some of those policies. And with that, I'll let Ben talk a little bit about debt ceiling, which is top of mind for everyone right now. Oh yeah, I mean, I think everybody on this call, unless you've been living under a rock knows the debt ceiling is a big deal in Washington right now. I mean, it's a big deal all across the country. It could have massive repercussions, but like Congress is really focused on this. They have a very limited window to think about the debt ceiling. And there's there's still some question marks. One of them being is exactly when are we going to reach it? Um, there has been some talk about June 1st being the X kind of day, but it really could stretch all the way to August. Um, we don't exactly know the time frame for sure, but we do know that Congress is focused on it, the administration is focused on, and something that has to get done. And so interesting, as part of that, um, permitting reform has been floated as something that might be a, a chip that gets played in this particular game. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats wanna see permanent reform get done. And as with most things in Congress, you're looking for a vehicle that can ensure something moves, a must pass, a piece of legislation, and if there was ever a must-pass piece of legislation, that's definitely the debt ceiling. Now, one of the big um, question marks around this is, do you really, if you have a June 1st deadline to reach this deal, do you really have time to do permanent reform as part of that? I mean, there's been a lot of stuff put out there, a lot of things are happening around permitting, but there's still a lot of outstanding questions and still a lot of negotiations that might need to happen. And so, Call me a little hesitant to say it's a done deal by any means, or even like I would say 20% chance that they have time to actually finalize negotiations on permit reform, but it is a distinct possibility. And so it's something we're keeping an eye on. Now, 
folks might remember that the, the House did pass a debt ceiling bill that included some of their provisions of HR1 on permanent reform, but also includes some IRA repeal provisions. That we don't think is going to happen. We do not think any debt ceiling deal is going to include anything that would repeal provisions of the IRA. You know, we've all worked too hard. There's been too much um, ground broken on a lot of those things. Where that we think would really be part of those negotiations, even though that was kind of in that opening bid. Um, so we really don't think those provisions are under threat. And you might remember we mobilized um, you guys a couple of weeks ago to send a clear message to the House that IRA provisions should not be part of any debt ceiling deal. And if even though the vote um, was a party line vote, we could see in some of the fallout from that, there were a lot of members that came to the floor, released statements, and said they weren't really comfortable with those provisions being in the bill, but they didn't think it was going to pass, that it was, as Jen said, an opening bid in a negotiation. And so that's where things stand right now with the debt ceiling. A lot could happen in the next couple of weeks, and we'll be keeping a close eye on it. So with that, we can get to the primary asks. On this particular thing, you've heard us talk a lot about permitting reform. So permitting reform is going to be at the centerpiece of our ask for both, both chambers. Really, all members, Republicans, Democrats, Senator, House members, they need to hear from us that permanent reform is important. You know, it's kind of exciting that uh, one of our, our primary asks, would have, been, would have been one of our primary asks, regardless of what was going on, is one of the hottest topics in Congress right now, because there is that momentum and people know it needs to get done. And it really is a huge opportunity to enact major climate legislation that would have really big implications for emissions reductions. And I'm going to go, I'm going to hit these slides and you're going to get tired of me hitting on them because I, I think I showed them in, in November and I show them every time. Because the question is, why permit reform? Well, you see that top line. That's the trajectory we're on post-IRA. We're going down, but we also need to go down faster. That blue chunk, that's, that's carbon pricing. Obviously need that. There's no doubt about it that like carbon price is an important tool in our climate toolbox. But that big red chunk, that's permitting reform. I don't think there's any better demonstration of why we are so focused on it. Those two policies together get us a long part of the way to 50% reductions by 2030. So that's why we're doing it. The science says we need to and the emissions reductions embedded in that tells us we need to do it as well. This, if we don't start building clean energy infrastructure faster, even with the IRN things, we'll only achieve 20% of the potential reductions in carbon pollution. That's reason enough to really lean into permitting reform. And the other thing, and people are also getting tired of me saying this, that if we passed a carbon price tomorrow, we would still need permitting reform. All the barriers to building stuff faster from all the money in the IRA would still be present if we had a carbon price. Because like every piece of fossil fuel infrastructure we take offline or push out of the economy needs to be replaced by something cleaner. So we got to build stuff. That's why we're leaning into permanent reform. So what do we want? We want permanent reform that does two things. We want to drive down carbon pollution by speeding up the approval of clean energy projects. No brainer for us. And we really want to protect the health and safety of American people and their communities. One of the things I always wanna really make clear is permanent reform is not a rubber stamp to just build stuff. 
we want to get to yes faster on good projects and no faster on bad projects. That's better for everybody. And so it's in no way a blank, blank stamp that we're just going to rubber stamp everything. It's just making the process work faster. And that will be better for everybody, especially if we're building clean energy infrastructure. Yeah, so now we, we know what we want. We want to drive down carbon pollution emissions and we want to protect communities and, and the health and safety of American people. So how do we get there? Well, there's a few key reforms we're looking at that we think need to be included in any final package for CCL to support. Now it's not limited to these. I want to be clear that permitting reform is a very broad topic. There's going to be a lot in there, but these are the four we've picked out as really crucial to any sort of package that will come together. The first, we need to allow transmission lines to be permitted and built much faster. So that's getting that transmit, that's getting that electricity from renewables from the center of the country, wind, solar, getting that out to the major urban areas that need that electricity. Transmission lines is, are how we do that. We can do that by giving FERC greater authority to permit, site, and allocate costs for those large-scale transmission lines. The second thing, we need to reduce the amount of time it takes to complete environmental reviews for major projects. So instead of these reviews dragging on and on and on, we need to shorten that time frame. That doesn't mean lessening the environmental standards or letting them go through like Ben said or rubber stamp on projects, no. It just means setting reasonable timelines for agencies to get through those existing reviews while still preserving those important environmental and safety standards. Third, we want to make sure federal agencies are more efficient. Right now, we see projects that go through and you've got two, three different agencies working on these reviews. They're all doing it simultaneously. They have conflicting opinions. They're not talking to one another. There's no one leading the process. So we want to designate a lead agency for a lot of these permitting processes. We want to also establish an interagency dispute resolution process. So there are, they are able to talk to one another when they do have conflicting opinions and also make sure they are doing these reviews concurrently instead of having one agency proceed and then another and then another. So all of this to say, cutting a little bit of red tape around how these agencies function. So they're functioning a little smoother and a little more efficiently. Fourth, and this is probably one of the most important, is ensuring robust and early community engagement. We want to make sure agencies and project sponsors are proactively talking to the communities early on in the projects. So not just continuing existing community engagement, but making sure that engagement is happening early on. So any concerns there are are being addressed. Any things the agencies need to deal with or the project sponsors need to deal with are being addressed right up front. And those communities are engaged from starting point from the first day the project's being proposed all the way through to completion. We wanna make sure communities on the ground are in the know and also have the resources to participate in that process so their voices are being heard. I'll pass it over to Ben to talk a little bit further about the bills that have been introduced so far. Yeah, and boy, have there been a lot of bills. Um, if you've been keeping track, obviously back as early as last year, Senator Manchin and, and Schumer had a a bill that they wanted tacked onto the omnibus bill. And since then, just in the last couple of weeks, ranking member Capitol has introduced a bill, ranking member Barrasso from Energy and Natural Resources Committee has introduced a bill. And of course there was HR1 in the house, reps Cast and Levin introduced their version of permit reform a few weeks ago. And Senator Carper just introduced his bill today. Um, well, along with Senators Whitehouse and Schatz. So there've been a lot of different proposals put out there 
or right on permanent reform. And on top of all that, um, last week, uh, the Biden administration put out their principles on permanent reform that aligns with some of the stuff. There's a lot of differences between these bills. None of these bills is like the big bipartisan compromise bill that everybody is going to coalesce, coalesce behind. But there's some ideas that might get pulled from every bill to, to get a deal enacted. And so this is one of the things we're going to track. And I mean, there might even be more um, permanent refill bills released, especially if we don't see a debt ceiling deal. This could be something where now everybody's got their marker bills out there, their ideas. And now there could be a bipartisan group that comes together to introduce a bipartisan bill that can pull ideas from both sides. So that's something to also be on the lookout for. So um, we can really expect more proposals to come. All right, so now we'll dive into what our goals are overall. We talked a bit about what we want, a bit about the priorities, the specific asks, but really our overarching goal in terms of permitting reform, we wanna steer this conversation in the right direction. Like Ben said, Congress is already talking about this. Both sides are working on their own ideas. They're putting them forward. They're trying to come to a deal. Our goal here is to get in there and steer them in the right direction. We need to make the case that this has to be bipartisan, not just because bipartisan bills are ultimately the ones that are able to stand the test of time and not be repealed, but also because the only way for it to pass the Senate and get signed into law by the president is for it to be bipartisan. And the priorities we set out for permitting reform are ones that are that mesh of the Republican and Democratic priorities, the ones that are truly going to bring down those carbon emissions and protect the health and safety of the community. So those are our two big goals as we look at this permitting reform uh, priority. And it's extremely exciting that Congress is already talking about this. Now it's our turn to just kind of steer it in the right direction and get it across the finish line. So diving a little bit more into thinking about your actual lobby day and how do you frame this for your member of Congress? Well, for every member of Congress, no matter if it's a Senator, House member, Republican or Democrat, we wanna be focusing on the need for it to be bipartisan, like I just mentioned. And also we wanna research and find common ground. What aspects of permitting reform does your member of Congress care about? Like I said, a lot of members are already talking about this, so I'm sure they've put out what their priorities are, whether it's on um, something related to jobs or it's related to emissions reductions or renewables, what is it? We need to find out the common ground and that's gonna give us a good starting point. So first, talking about how do you carve this out for Republicans, if you're talking to a Republican member, um, we wanna start with, like I said, the common ground, looking for things like, um, the need for quicker approvals. That's something a lot of Republican members are really keen on. Incentivizing innovation, making sure energy projects are not being held up by this permitting process and lowering energy costs altogether. Those are all some of the Republican priorities on this. So figuring out what your member has honed in on and using that to start the conversation so we're getting that buy-in. But ultimately what we really need to focus on with Republicans once we set that common ground and draw them in is we need to focus on the importance of transmission and community engagement. Those are two of the pieces that Republicans are most, I'll say hesitant on. Those are not their top priorities. So that's really what we need to push them to understand the importance of for their district, for their state, but also for the country as a whole. And for Democrats, again, we wanna start with that common ground and you can look for things like the need for more clean energy, 
increasing early community engagement or achieving the IRA emissions reductions that were set by that bill. Those are all democratic priorities that you'll hear a lot of them talk about. So talking about those first in your meeting, again, trying to establish that foundation. So we're starting that meeting off on a good note. And then we wanna dive into the importance of the speed and efficiency in the overall permitting process. So we really need them to get bought in on the fact that we have to do this. The permitting process right now does not work and it's not gonna allow us to achieve our emissions reduction goals or any of our climate goals. So really making, making the case for permitting reform in terms of speed and efficiency, that's what we really wanna get Democrats bought in on so that they're able to push for a bipartisan package as well as Republicans. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ben to talk about our favorite topic, carbon pricing. Well, very well said on permanent reform. And I, I do want to emphasize that this is really a topic that even though it's 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 front and center for Congress right now, it's by no means a done deal. And they really need the grassroots energy of a group like CCL to force both sides together in the right direction. And so don't by any means don't think this is a foregone conclusion that this will get done. This is something we still have to work at. But I think Jen framed it up very nicely. But now we get to talk about something else exciting. Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act and carbon pricing generally. So I think uh, most people on this call know that carbon pricing and the Energy Innovation Act has been a big priority of CCL for as long as any of us can remember. And it's, as that chart showed, that big blue wedge, the carbon price is still integral to any carbon, any climate solution that's going to get us to where we need to be by 2050. You know, we know there's going to be several carbon pricing bills introduced this Congress. The Energy Innovation Act is going to be introduced in the coming weeks. The Market Choice Act is going to be introduced as well. And there will be some bills focused on carbon border adjustment mechanisms. But we really want to lay the groundwork for a strong introduction of the Energy Innovation Act, which will hopefully be coming in the next couple of weeks. You know, this is going to be, we're going to have kind of co-primary asks. This one will be just for the House though, because right now the Energy Innovation Act is only going to be introduced in the House. But we really want it to be a strong introduction. We want to get as many co-sponsors as possible right out of the gate. We want to remind Congress what an important tool carbon pricing is. You know, we almost really got close with reconciliation and a carbon price but we don't want Congress to move on from this. So we wanna make this a, a primary ask for the House as well, but we also want you to tailor it just a little bit. You know, we've been lobbying on the Energy Innovation Act for, for many years. So there's a lot of offices that are familiar with the bill. And so what we're really counting on you guys is to tailor your, your ask. Ask yourself some questions. Is, it, is this a freshman office? Have they ever heard of carbon pricing? Have they ever heard of the Energy Innovation Act? If so, you know, plan on providing a little bit more background, a little bit more examples of why carbon price is an effective tool, just all the things a freshman member of Congress, whether they're Republican or Democrat, might have questions around. But what if this is like a member that's been a co-sponsor the last two Congresses? you might not have to focus on it much. You might wanna spend most of your time talking about permanent reform and just give them a heads up saying, hey, you know, the Energy Innovation Act is coming. 
We know you've been a sponsor in the past. We'd really like you to be a sponsor in the future when it comes out. So if you could be on the lookout and they might just need that heads up. That might be need to be the only information they need is that it's coming up. And the same thing as if you've been working, going into a Republican office for many years, talking about carbon pricing and have gotten a hard no, you might wanna update them on the bill, but your time might be more productive focusing on the permitting ask and one of the supporting asks. We trust you to know your member of Congress and know what will be most effective to further your relationship and really further that conversation around carbon pricing. And sometimes when you've gotten that no, it's time to let it rest for a little bit and pivot back until something's changed or you have a new voice to bring or new information. And so that's just these things. It's not completely straightforward, but we know you guys can do it. We know you are experienced, capable, and can make these choices based on your relationship with your member and your past history. So we're going to leave that up to you. Well, supporting asks, I know uh, for a lot of us, I think the focus is on the primary asks, and that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes the supporting asks seem like a, an afterthought a little bit with what we're picking, but I want to remind everyone of just how important and meaningful our supporting asks are. There's so many important climate bills that we have moved through our supporting asks. We've had so much success. Uh, and these bills are not just low hanging fruit. These are really truly impactful pieces of policy that are bipartisan, that are gonna stand the test of time and are gonna help us reduce emissions. So I'm thinking of the Growing Climate Solutions Act, the BEST Act, the Use It Act, the Climate Ready Fisheries Act. All of these bills are important on their own because of their climate impact. But also as we get these smaller bipartisan victories, we're building more and more momentum and that makes it easier for us to move our primary asks, our bigger lifts as we go. It helps more and more members get bought in. It helps us build our relationships with different members on all different parts of the spectrum of ideology and helps us ultimately make the case for some of these bigger priorities like carbon pricing and permanent reform. So first, we'll dive into how do we decide on our supporting asks so you understand some of our rationale. This is always a question about how do we decide? Well, you know, it was before we had one one policy, now we have multiple. So we still ask ourselves, is this, are these bills complementary to our primary policy areas? If we have a carbon price, if we have permanent reform, um, would we still need to like touch bait, take action on these things? And now more so than in the past, do they fit within those policy priorities is also a consideration. Always with supporting asks, we try to really look at, is it bipartisan? Because this is this is a place that we want to build bipartisan uh, conversation and support on, on, on a policy, especially these smaller ones. And the other thing we ask ourselves, is this something that we can achieve in the near term and our efforts will not be a long-term big thing we're working on for the next three or four Congresses? This is something we wanna get done this Congress or next Congress. In a, in a much smaller window. So that's another thing we really look at when we consider these supporting asks. And lastly, like, does it build bridges? Do we create new coalitions? Do we bring Republicans and Democrats together in new ways? Do we bring new different organizations and interest groups and constituencies to really see themselves as like being part of the climate solution? These are all things that we, we ask too when we're looking at these bills. And I know, 
you know, we, we usually choose five before lobby day. And some are things we've been working on from last Congress, some are new. And there are a million, well, there's not a million, there's usually a couple hundred um, uh, good bills that are introduced. And you're like, well, why not that bill? Well, we can't do all of them. So we do have to narrow it down to just a few or we'd be overwhelmed because one of the things is even with the expanded policy agenda, even with like supporting asks, we still have to have a focus. If every every volunteer, every group went into a congressional office and asked for a different supporting ask or a different primary ask, our, our impact would be diminished significantly. We might get one co-sponsor instead of 50 co-sponsors. So we still have to have a certain amount of focus even with supporting asks. And we will have um, one pages up on community at, in the near future for all of these. So don't feel like we're not gonna go into depth tonight. We wouldn't have space. First, the RISE Act. You might remember the RISE Act from last year. We're also going to do the Increased Technical Service Provider Access Act of 2023, the Save Our Sequoias Act, the Seedlings for Sustainable Habitat Restoration Act of 2023, and the Ready for Disasters Act. And now we'll uh, we'll jump right in and do a brief overview of, of these specific bills. So if you guys remember, the RISE Act got very close to passage last Congress. So we don't wanna give up on it. It's still really important. It's really going to help us build a clean energy economy and provide dedicated revenue for coastal resiliency. You know, it creates funding streams for coastal infrastructure and really helps the most vulnerable communities along our coastlines that are threatened by sea level rise, storms, and coastal erosion. It creates a revenue sharing model for federal offshore wind that really puts it on par with the offshore oil industry right now. And these are the main points that we want offshore wind to have the same benefits as offshore oil. And we want to make sure that funding goes to communities. And it also does have benefits for inland communities through the land and water land and water conservation fund. So that's that's the first supporting ask. All right, so we'll dive into, yeah, we'll dive into the Save Our Sequoias Act. And this one, uh, we have endorsed and supported this bill last Congress, and we started building some support when this was introduced last August after some of the really bad wildfires out in California, but it's been reintroduced. It's got tremendous bipartisan support with Representative Peters and Speaker McCarthy being the co-leads on this, so really good bipartisan effort here. And the whole focus of this is to protect that old growth forest, to protect those iconic sequoias and make sure that these old growth forests continue to sequester carbon instead of emitting it like we see when there are these wildfires and they're burning down. So there's a bunch of different provisions in the bill, but essentially the gist is we're trying to provide a comprehensive process for states like California, their local their local forestry, their state forestry agencies, all to work together, having processes to quickly address some of these wildfire threats. So there's things like interagency coordination, but there's also different research to understand when the risk is highest. There's a certain emergency procedures allowing them to do routine trimming of the forest to prevent the risk. So there's a bunch of different uh, tools included in this bill that would be given to California so they can mitigate this risk, prevent hopefully some of these, um, these wildfire threats. And the Biden administration has already taken a lot of these steps on their own. 
but this bill would codify a lot of what the administration has done to protect the sequoias and then take it one step further by giving them some future some forward-looking tools like the research and, and other items now this bill we're excited it passed committee just this past week um, so we're awaiting a potential floor vote so now is the time where we really need to be talking to all members of the House. This is a House-only bill, so it's just for the House, but really pushing them to support the bill when it gets to the floor. There is some hesitation and concern, especially amongst progressives, about how far this might go. But like we said, with the Biden administration already having done many of these things, it's widely agreed upon as uh, common sense policy to make sure that these forests are protected. So we need to make the case to both Republicans as well as Democrats, but like I said, really good bipartisan support there and it's already moved. So hopefully we'll be able to push that one across the finish line. And thanks, Jen. So I'll talk a little bit about the increased TSP Access Act of 2023. You know, this really kind of follows on the hill, on the hills of the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Um, one of the things that we, we saw with passage of the IRA is there's now a lot of money for conservation and climate um, in the egg space, almost $20 billion. But one of the problems is um, farmers, ranchers, foresters need technical expertise to take full advantage of that money and really leverage it. And there's not enough of these so-called technical service providers out there to help them um, utilize these programs, fully understand it and implement um, these very technical new conservation practices. And so what this does is it streamlines the process allows for um, other people to certify some of these technical service providers and will really leverage some of that IRA money um, so farmers can take, ranchers, foresters can take full advantage of it. And you might've seen this bill was introduced by Senator Braun and Senator Bennett just a few weeks ago, but we think this is a really good bill. It's in the House and the Senate, and it should be a really good ask, particularly for um, farm states but like I said, there's also the forestry component. So it's really a good secondary ask for just about everybody. And it was just introduced. So um, it's a really good opportunity to socialize it and let members know that this was this just came out um, really recently. All right, and we'll dive into the Seedlings for Sustainable Habitat Restoration Act. This is a new one for us. Um, and we are fortunate to have uh, some of our, our great uh, volunteers working on this, uh, proposing it. So like Ben said, as you guys have ideas for future lobby days for supporting us, by all means, send them our way. Uh, and this one is building on the bipartisan infrastructure law. So as we see a lot of these huge bills like the IRA, the Infrastructure Bill, the CHIPS Act passed, there's so many good climate ag pieces in a lot of these bills, but there's some gaps. There's some things that are gonna need tweaking and that's what happens with any major bill. This is one example. In the bipartisan infrastructure bill, there was a lot of money for reforestation, which is obviously something that is extremely important to us, falling within our forestry uh, priority. But that money was not specified to be able to go to seedling nurseries. So in order to keep this pipeline moving of having the seedlings ready to be reforested, to be put in the forest, um, we need to make sure that money is also able to go to those nurseries. So this is pretty much a clarification that that funding that's already made available can also go to these nurseries so that we're able to kind of keep this pipeline going so that our reforestation efforts, which are expanding and expanding, continue to have a stable pipeline of the materials, in this case of the seedlings, 
that are necessary um, for those efforts. And this one is a Senate only bill right now. So it's great for all Senate members of Congress. It's obviously got the forestry angle, um, but definitely a, a big priority for everyone since it's all gonna be a huge impact on our climate, uh, climate goals overall. Thanks, Jen. And lastly, the Ready for Disasters Act. So I mean, it goes without saying that, you know, climate has certainly made natural disasters more prevalent and it's hitting all of our communities all across the country. But there are certain populations that get hit worse by these disasters, and particularly people, older adults and people with disabilities. And um, this is something that could be that really meaningful, important to you know provide a little bit more thought of how these disasters impact people. So this was established a national commission on disability rights and disasters. It directs the Department of Justice to review the spending of disaster funds by federal agencies and states to ensure funds have been spent in accordance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it creates a competitive grant program to pilot strategies for greater inclusion of people with disabilities and older adults in disaster preparation, response, recovery, and mitigation. So this is one of these bills that we hopefully will be helping the most vulnerable upon, among us. And it's, it's a really worthwhile bill. We have a great table to just help you that will be up where you can see like what these uh, supporting asks are, who they're best for, are they in the House or Senate? Um, so that will be available to you as a quick guide. And just, just some final thoughts. Um, you know, going back, Jen and I have seen over the years the major impact that CCL has. We've seen it in the supporting assets that have gotten passed. We saw in the IRA. We've seen the advance in carbon pricing and the Energy Innovation Act with 95 co-sponsors last Congress. The work you guys do is really impactful. And as crazy as it is, we haven't been on the Hill in force since 2019. All through COVID, you continue to do your work and make things happen. I'm blows my mind sometimes thinking about how much stuff has gotten done um, while we've been off the Hill. But the simple fact of the matter is, we're most impactful when we're there, we're there in person. We've had so much turnover the last four years in congressional staffs, you guys have been having Zoom calls with them and have done great work on Zoom and making phone calls and sending emails. But at individual office, they might think, man, we got a great CCL chapter in Omaha. But the only way all offices see the power of CCL is when we're there in person and they see all these committed climate advocates. They're spending their own money to come to DC and tell, and tell Congress that climate is a priority. That's powerful. And so that's why I'm so excited that we're back and that full impact of CCL can really be felt. The second point I kind of make, this is a dynamic time for climate in Congress. And some of you that have been around for a while might remember when all we were trying to do was get Congress to even talk about climate. And we had to, we had to basically found a caucus just to start having climate conversations in a bipartisan manner. Now there's a hearing on climate every week. There's legislation being introduced and moved by both Republicans and Democrats. And it's coming at us fast and furious, just like, you know, just like with permanent reform. So this is a really dynamic time. And now we have expanded policy portfolio and we've got to be adaptable to that. And it might not be where things are really set and we have a Absolutely, we know that this is happening now and we're introducing that bill and we have all the answers. Sometimes we don't now. 
but I think we are nimble enough to be um, effective in this environment and continue to make our voices heard, but we still need to be focused. We don't want to be all over the place. We don't want to be just chasing things. And it just so happens that, you know, our primary ask permit reform just really happens to be on the docket. And who knows, might get passed in the next two weeks. It might be something that we're working on for the next six months. But either way, I know CCL will be there and will be impactful when we're talking about it. And this goes to things could change between now and June. We'll keep you posted. Be on the lookout. Like I said, one pages will be posted on the supporting asks. The ask sheets for the primary asks will be coming out shortly. But we might have to do some, some minor changes to those things. And just we can we can do all that together and be ready for it. But we just have to be ready for uh, Congress to throw us a couple curveballs. They always seem to do that, uh, much to my and Jen's chagrin. A lot of the times, it keeps us up at night, but it also keeps this uh, job that we're all doing together um, exciting. And with that, I just say I'm looking forward to seeing all of you. I really appreciate you, and um, we'll be all here together in person in just a couple of weeks. Excellent. Thank you so much. And with that, we have reached the top of the hour. We want to make sure that everyone heads into D.C. as part of your lobby team is fully informed. I'm happy to field questions after tonight on the forum. So we hope that you found tonight's training useful and we look forward to seeing you again on Monday. Uh, we'll be again available for lobby training part two. Thank you all so much for being here. It was a real treat to see all of you. And as our tradition proceeds, I'm going to unmute all lines so that we can love up on each other as you sign off tonight. So good to see all of you. And can't wait to see you in person in DC. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Thanks. See you in DC. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.